This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Um, so when five of pastors from Gospel City and um, Freedom Village met over Zoom um, this past week um, to share about uh, our passage today, and there was very quick agreement among these five people when we start talking about um, this passage and this coming Christmas. And it was that this Christmas will be one of the toughest, the hardest Christmas that we will experience in, in Seoul. And especially if you're an expat or international, like who came from the country where the Christmas is all about this fellowship with family members these joyful moments of meeting together, eating together, I think this Christmas will be slightly different. And we all know that, and we all somehow expect it. This year, um, Christmas may be one of the loneliest seasons of the pandemic, even. Because it's because Christmas comes with this sense of joy and wonder And therefore, when it disappears, when that joy and wonder disappears, the lack highlights even more vividly in our hearts. But however, um, today and during this season of Advent, I want us to know that when we lack the wonder and joy, like from where it feels it's supposed to be, it's the moment God really teaches us what can be the true source of our joy and wonder. So even today, I want us to learn that. Like Mary's song, uh, we just read, uh, our sister Anne just read, that gives us huge contrast from ourselves. And because her song is full of praise of God, like praise with deep wonder and joy, praise with full conviction, Praise that overflows instead of like dried out. Like verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is how we're supposed to read this passage. This is how Mary was singing when she was singing to God. And my question for myself and for you guys is, when was the last time that you sing a song like that? And when was the last time that you praised God with such a wonder and joy? Or was that wonder and joy ever a part of your life? Was that ever part of your Christian uh, walk with God? And what God wants for all of us is to praise Him with such a joy and wonder. And this is what God wants for all of us here today. And This is why Jesus was born into this world, so that we may come to God and praise him in the fullness of joy and awe. And praising God with wonder and joy is not just the cherry on top of the cake. It is a very crucial part of Christian life. So the advent, the arrival of Jesus, is a great news that we celebrate but it is also a great act of God 
like enables us and empower us um, to celebrate him with joy. And today's passage invites us to Mary's song, her praise, her testimony, but even more than that, uh, we're invited to her heart. And this passage leads us to praise God with wonder and joy because God has done great things through the birth of Jesus. So, why does she praise with such a wonder and joy? Like what, great, what great thing uh, was Mary seeing at this moment? The very first thing that we notice is that her praise is very, very personal. And what this passage teaches us is that our praise must be personal. Our personal praise brings this deepest joy, the true joy and wonder when we praise. What do I mean by that? What do I mean that our praise must be personal? It means that our praise is deeply rooted in our heart, not just our knowledge. Like Mary's praise with awe and joy, like it, derived, it is derived from her very personal experience of God. So I want us to read verse 46 and verse 47 again. I'll be reading for us. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like her praise is not just reciting the doctrines or good theology that she learned or memorized. Although she is using a lot of expressions uh, from the Old Testament, nevertheless, it's her confession, and it's from her deepest heart. Like in Scripture, or even modern days, like when someone says, like, my soul or my spirit experienced something, this means that you are experiencing on the deepest level of your heart. For example, Psalm 62, 1, it's a very famous passage. Truly my soul finds rest in God. The Psalter is singing that only in God, his deepest part of his heart can have a rest. And it also means that our praise begins with God, what God did for us personally. I'm, I'm going to read, continue, uh, let's continue to see verse 48 and verse nine, 49. Uh, Mary continues like this, 48. For he has looked on the humble estate, estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Here, Mary praise God for what he did for her very personal level. Like Mary's personal confession here is that God, the one who is mighty, personally took care of her who is humble, who is nothing with, who is with nothing to boast. And God has done specifically for her as individuals. Like he has looked on her and he who is mighty, he who is the God of the universe, has done great thing for her. 
In other words, she had personal experience of salvation in the deepest of her heart. And that's why she's full of conviction that what God is doing right now is for her. And that's why she calls God my Savior in verse 47. And not only Mary, um, if you think about great songs of praise, many convicting praises often is a reflection of very personal experience of God. Like, for example, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. It's written by John Newton. The lyric goes like this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Uh, John Newton, if you don't know, um, he served in like British Royal Navy, and after he um, uh, quit uh, the Royal Navy, he got involved in the Atlantic slave trade. Like he was involved in slave trade for a few years, and one of uh, one day in 1748, uh, he met severe storm um, off the coast of this island and where he first called out like God's mercy for his life. And from that experience and from that point, like he started thinking about God and he started learning about gospel and Christianity. And a few years later, um, he renounces like his slave trade and he, he confesses faith in Christ. And Amazing Grace was written uh, from his, his own spiritual conversion, his own experience of meeting God, his own his own experience of forgiveness of God. And he, he saw how unforgivable sin that he was doing or he has done. And he saw how he was lost and blind. But he also saw God saved wretch like him. Amen. This amazing song, amazing grace, like it's from his own personal experience of God. So the heart of praise is this. Like, once you were blind, but now you see and taste what God has done for you. Not just his grand plan for the universe, but what he has done for you personally. And when we start thinking that praise and worship is something we have to accomplish, like emotions that we have to squeeze out, like we'll always be in a position of frustration, and disappointment. But it's when we see and taste for what he has doing to us personally. And that's when we start worshiping God. And it also our praise must be personal also means that we actively respond to him in faith and humility. When something is personal to you, we are, not, we are not passive, but we are very active. Uh, I mentioned that Mary was visiting uh, Elizabeth, uh, and when Elizabeth praises God, and when she was talking about Mary, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, uh, Elizabeth was say, saying this, like, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Elizabeth was talking about Mary, that she believed and she responded. When this angel of God came to Mary and 
told her what's going to happen, but she believed what was spoken to her. And she didn't have a full picture, but she had faith in that word spoken to her and responded actively. And she, that's why she visited Elizabeth right away to see what God was doing to this barren woman. The culture that we are in considers how we feel is one of the most important things. That's what culture tells us. What we experience is really important. That's, that's the most important thing. And so even in the church, when we say that we need a personal experience with God, like we often think like this, God, like please fill me with joy and wonder. Then I will obey you and live for you. Or sometimes we, we hear this word like, oh, the reason that I don't live life of obedience is because I don't feel his love deep in my heart. If, if I am filled with his love, I can live for him. I will live for him. This may sound theologically very, very right. It's, it sounds very right. However, unfortunately, it does not work like that. What happens, they wait for God to fill them with this tremendous joy and wonder and wait to act until they reach certain level of satisfaction, of joy and wonder. They're saying, I'm going to wait until I, I'm, until I get filled with this tremendous joy and wonder. And they wait. But very often, like five years, ten years, they become miserable. And they feel betrayed by God because God didn't fill them up. And responding actively in faith and humility is one of the keys to praise God in wonder and joy. Our active response itself becomes what gives us joy. And that's what Jesus was telling us in uh, John. Uh, John chapter 4. He was saying that my food is to do will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And remember, being personal was the way God chose to do. He didn't just send a message uh, to this world, but Christ himself personally came into humanity like being born in our likeness. But the fact that our praise is deeply personal does not mean that our praise is self-centered, like me-centered. That's not what I am saying, because no, rather, your own personal praise always, it's always, leads us to God-centered praise. And Mary was full of her own heart, like full of joy toward God, and she was so aware of the blessings that she received from God, like confessing that all generations will call her blessed. However, starting from verse 50, the subject of singing dramatically changes. Now her praise is all about his character, his mercy, his strength, 
in verse 50, Mary continues like this. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation and to generation. And from there, from verse 50, she continues praising about God's act, like he has shown his strength, he has scattered the proud, he has brought down the mighty, he exalted those who are humble, he has filled the hungry with good things, he has helped with his servant nation. And she praises what God has done and is doing and will do. If you look up on the dictionary, a dictionary says this, praise by definition is to express admiration or approval of achievement of the characteristic of a person or a thing. And Christian praise, our praise actually falls into this definition as well. Like we admire God's character. We admire his mercy and his strength and we celebrate well, God, the great thing that he achieved in order to redeem the fallen and broken humanity, then what does it mean that uh, your own praise is God-centered? Like if you praise God, isn't that God-centered praise already? God-centered praise means that you praise him the most. Now, I said by definition, praise means that you admire something or someone. And with this, with this definition, we praise God. We sing what he has done for us. And we worship him and we bless his name on Sunday. But the rest of six days, we admire our own achievement, our own character, and our own success. And we often experience joyless, wonderless praise. Like even when we think that we are praising God, it's because he's not the one we praise the most. It's because even one day we praise him, the rest of the days we praise other things. We praise ourselves. So God-centered praise means that we praise him the most. I would like to share just one song. Um, uh, it's called uh, You Are Worshipper. Now, it's sung by uh, this um, single-song writer and also professor. Uh, his name is Jumo Cho. His English name is Amos Cho. Um, it, the lyric goes like this. It's in Korean. I translate it for us. Whoever you are and whatever you do, you are a worshipper. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you're an earnest worshiper. Like if you hear this, it sounds like he's singing about these amazing worshipers of God. But it goes like this, uh, and you'll realize it's a sharp observation of the nature of man. Like it continues like this. Whether you acknowledge or not, whether you have a religion or not, you're a worshiper. Some serves money, others serves comfort. Some serve honor, others position. Some serves pleasure, others success. He was talking about, he's singing about the nature of people, nature of a man. Like whether we admit it or not, we all 
worship something. We all pray something, always. And that's why praising God with wonder and joy is very crucial because we always end up praising something. And when we don't praise God the most, our hearts start praising ourselves and our hearts start praise other things the most. And we, started, we start magnifying them the most and we long for them and we give our love to them. So Gospel City, we are created to praise something. We are created to worship something and praise Him daily and praise Him the most. And this is not a duty or burden, and this is what it means to praise God-centered. Like Mary's song, our singing is a celebration with wonder and joy. And lastly, we would like to see verse 51 and 54. Um, Mary's praise continues like this. He has shown, I'll be reading it for us, verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Man. Um, for us to understand this passage, I, I, I would like to give two contexts uh, of today's sermon. So one is Advent. Like in, in the Advent season, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus into this world. And we also anticipate the arrival, the second arrival of Christ into this world. And Latin word, Adventus, means arrival, a coming. And English word, Advent, that we use this word, uh, often means the arrival of notable person or thing or event. So there is this anticipation in this word. And two, I just want to take us back to the moment when the angel um, visited Mary. So the angel didn't simply say that you will conceive a baby, but if you look at Luke chapter 1, uh, starting from verse 30, I'll be reading it for us. The angel said to her, Hey, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And this is an important part here. And angel continues, speaks to Mary. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you hear what angel was talking to Mary? This baby will be the king. He will reign over God's house. And his kingdom 
will be everlasting. So in the season of Advent, when we talk about Advent, Advent means that the arrival of Jesus. But not only that, it means the arrival of new era. What Mary is seeing and praising God is that is the advent, arrival of God's peaceful and just kingdom where this newborn baby will reign as a king forever. And she believed in this. And this is what we celebrate and anticipate today. A new era, new kingdom has begun and it will be consummated. And I would like to talk a little bit about this kingdom, new kingdom, new era that we are called to live. God's mercy prevails in this new kingdom. God's mercy prevails in this new era. In verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation and to generation. And how does his mercy look like? That's what verse 51 to the end. His mercy looked like this. He exalted those who are in the humble estate. And he fills those who are hungry with good things. But not only that, we see the justice. Like he scattered the proud and he brings down the mighty from their throne and he sent the rich away empty. Like these are the reversal of what's been said by this broken world. At the same time, it's God's act of mercy. Here, there are three people here, the proud, mighty, and the rich. And the one common thing of these people is that they are independent apart from God. They're just okay without God. Think about it. If you're rich or if you're in, the, in a high position, if you have a power, it's so easy to start thinking that, oh, I don't need a God. I have everything that I need. I have money. I can get what I need. And I'm in a position of power. I can get what I want. I don't need a God. Why do I need a God? And that's the commonality of these three people. That's the heart of proud. But in this new kingdom, in this new era, what God does, that God scatters them, that God scatters proud, and God brings the mighties from the, their um, seat of power, and God sent these rich, rich people away empty. What he does, it's not just God's act of justification, um, God's act of justice. What he does is he shows them the need of God. He shows them the need of salvation. He shows them the need of Jesus. He shows the rich that they need more than they, 
more than they, uh, what they have. And he shows mighty people. He shows the uh, people in the power that there is the one who sat on the true throne. And he shows the proud that their understanding is limited. And he even calls them to rely on God and rely on Jesus. And do you remember the story of prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Um, it's famous story. The man had two sons, and the younger son asked his father to give him the portion of his inheritance before the father dies, passes away. And a few days later, this younger son took all that he received, and he uh, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered and his property in reckless living. And what was the heart of the younger son? It was this, as long as I have that property, as long as I have um, the fortune from my father, I don't need my father anymore. That was the heart of the younger son. And that, was, that is the heart of proud. That is the heart of rich. That is the heart of mighty from Mary's song. This is the core of that heart. I don't need God, and it's okay. And by any chance, by any chance, if you feel like you're okay without God, if you feel like, oh, I have everything that I need without God, I just want to remind you of that this whole book of Luke, or even the songs that we will listen to the next four weeks, is written for you. Luke 1, if you see that at the beginning of the Luke, it tells us that this letter is written to Theophilus. We don't know much about him, who Theophilus was, but what we can know, what we can guess, is that he was probably in a noble position. He was probably rich. He was probably who was someone in the power. And that's the only reason he could like, even have this letter. There's someone, Luke, who went, investigated all of the things that happened, and he's writing this letter to him. The book of Luke is written, someone who was rich, someone who was in noble position, and it calls us to come to God, and it teaches us that we need God, the most rich person, the most powerful person in this world, still need God. And that's what Mary is singing here as well. Mary sings that what God does in his mercy. He just not calls the humble, but he also calls those who are proud. And he calls everyone, come to him and rely on him. So Gospel City, praise God for the new kingdom that he brings in Christ. Praise him the most. Praise him wherever you are. 
not just in the church, but praise him in your family, in your home. Praise him in the workplace. Praise him even when you're frustrated. Praise him even when you're tired, when you're going through a hard time. And praise him personally. Expect, anticipate the God who take care of you in a very personal level. So praise him. This new era, new kingdom, is where sinners, unrighteous, and rebellious come back to God, repent, and redeemed, and saved. And this is the good news that was given for you and for me today in the birth of Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of Advent. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.